Welcome to another episode of Social Distortion, where we examine how tech and social media are impacting our lives for better and for worse. In this episode, we're diving deep into the rabbit hole to explore how Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk might truly be dangerous figures who control everything we read, think, and do, or are they just the brilliant architects building us a better world? I have the pleasure of introducing Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook.com. Yo. <laughs> when Mark Zuckerberg was at Harvard, he was fascinated by hacker culture, this notion that software programmers could do things that would shock the world. And a lot of times people are just like too careful. I think it's more useful to like make things happen and then like apologize later than it is to make sure that you dot all your I's now and then like just not get stuff done. It wasn't that they intended to do harm so much as they were unconcerned about the possibility that harm would result. So let's unpack the theory that Bezos, Zuckerberg, and Musk are in fact dangerous figures who control our lives. One key argument revolves around their access to vast amounts of personal data. You know, every time you buy something, you log in for something, they're getting your info. We all know that by now. With their platform's extensive reach, they possess unparalleled insights into our behavior. I'm not sure about you, dear listeners, but I get freaked out when I mention a product to a friend in conversation. Like, hey, you know, that was a really cool skateboard I saw. And five minutes later, it is populating all my Google searches with ads to buy it. Coincidence? Hmm. So just to be clear, you're not going to sell or share any of the information on Facebook. We're not going to share people's information except for with the people that they've asked for it to be shared. Welcome back to Velshin Rule, an NBC News exclusive report on Facebook and your and my data. Our new reporting found the social network's leaders seriously discussed selling access to user data with user privacy just being an afterthought. According to 4,000 pages of leaked documents, CEO Mark Zuckerberg oversaw plans to treat Facebook users as, quote, bargaining chips, while publicly proclaiming to protect user data between 2011 and 2015. This stems from a lawsuit brought against Facebook by a California startup. The documents seem to show how, quote, Zuckerberg, along with his board and management team, found ways to tap Facebook's trove of user data, including information about friends, relationships, and photos, as leverage over companies it partnered with. Here, joining me now, a dear friend of mine, NYU Stern School of Business Professor Scott Galloway, um, let me say that again. The allegation is that Facebook was using some users' data as leverage over companies it partnered with. Surprise, surprise. Any massive company, whenever you're the biggest market player, right. you're going to use that size as leverage to get what you want. Yeah, so it's shocking that Mark Zuckerberg and his management team abused our data said no one ever. Another aspect of the theory centers around the algorithms that govern our online experiences. A social media algorithm is a set of rules and signals that automatically ranks content on a social media platform based on how likely each individual social media user is to like and interact with it. Algorithms are the reason why no two users will see exactly the same social content, even if they follow all the same accounts. These algorithms determine the content we see, shaping our thoughts and influencing our decisions. 
They basically just feed us more of what we are already looking at. This might seem pretty handy and convenient, but it also creates what is called an echo chamber or a filter bubble. Now we've all heard about echo chambers, maybe not so much about filter bubbles. It's not that different, but the term filter bubble refers to the results of these algorithms that dictate what we encounter online, which fundamentally alters the way we encounter ideas and information. Critics argue that the personalized echo chambers reinforce our existing beliefs and limit our exposure to diverse perspectives. That raises questions about the extent to which Bezos, the Zuck, and Musk control the narratives that we're all hearing and thinking. Facebook's algorithm is designed to feed users content that they find most engaging and has drawn criticism for its role in creating echo chambers that appeal to people's emotions of fear and anger instead of harnessing debate and nuanced conversation. At a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms, we can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement. The longer the better, and all with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. The age of kind of algorithmically mediated uh, media is really different in a couple of ways. So one way is it's not um, something that we know that we're choosing. So we don't know on what basis, who, who an algorithm thinks we are, and therefore we don't know um, how it's deciding what to show us or not show us. And it's often that not showing us part that's the most important. We don't know what piece of the picture we're missing um, because by definition it's out of view. The immense power wielded by Bezos, Zuckerberg, and Musk cannot be underestimated nor understated. Their platforms have become integral parts of our daily lives which raises concerns about the concentration of power and the erosion of competition. I mean, who's going to compete with Amazon at this point? Recently, the heads of the big four in tech, Apple, Google, Meta, and Amazon, had to testify before Congress who is investigating them for becoming monopolies and breaking antitrust laws. Their reach and power over our country in the ways we communicate, the information we are digesting, the products we use, make them the most potentially dangerous actors in our culture and economy. Lawmakers squared off with the chief executives of the tech industry's four most powerful players. Since last June, the House Judiciary Committee has been engaged in a sweeping investigation of each of the four companies, honing in on how they stifle competition in the tech industry. These companies have been consolidating power for a long time. The purpose of today's hearing is to examine the dominance of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. For years, antitrust experts have been building the case against big tech's questionable acquisitions, predatory pricing, and copycat behaviors. Amazon runs the largest online marketplace in America, capturing 70% of all online marketplace sales. Despite a litany of privacy scandals and record-breaking fines, Facebook continues to enjoy booming profits, $18 billion last year alone. These examples and supporting documents strongly suggest that Facebook does weaponize its policy to undermine competitors. Isn't it true that Amazon refers to third-party sellers as internal competitors? We've interviewed many small businesses, and they use the words like bullying, fear, and panic to describe their relationship with Amazon. Has Facebook ever threatened to clone the products of another company while also attempting to acquire that company? Congresswoman, not that I would 
not that I recall. And, and I'd like to just remind you that you are under oath, um, and there are quotes from Facebook's own documents. Prior to acquiring Instagram, Facebook began developing a similar product called Facebook Camera, correct? Congresswoman, that's correct. Did you ever use this very similar Facebook Camera product to threaten Instagram's founder, Kevin Systrom. In a chat, you told Mr. Systrom that Facebook was, quote, developing our own photo strategy, so how we engage now will also determine how much we're partners versus competitors down the line. Instagram's founder seemed to think that was a threat. He confided in an investor at the time that he feared you would go into, quote, destroy mode if he didn't sell Instagram to you. There has never been a greater failure in FTC or DOJ history than approving the acquisition of Instagram. I think we all uh, probably regret that now. Until recently, the Zuck was the only king of shady media. I mean, perhaps Rupert, but let's save that for another show. I mean, there's been more than enough instances and cases of Facebook's reckless pursuit of profit. Most notably was the way they substantially contributed to the atrocities perpetrated by the Myanmar military against the Rohingya people in 2017, or corrupting our own elections, such as illustrated by the Cambridge Analytica debacle, where personal data belonging to millions of Facebook users was collected without their consent to be used for political advertising, and right up to being complicit in allowing all the stop the steal yo-yos and the propaganda around that some might say that was the biggest component of the insurrection. Facebook also became a tool in the spread of misinformation, hate speech, and even ethnic tension that led to violence, as was seen in Myanmar in 2017. And the platform has been swamped with fake profiles. In 2019, Facebook declared it removed 3.2 billion fake accounts. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to encrypt the backbone between WhatsApp, Instagram, and the core platform Facebook such that he has one communications network across 2.7 billion people or the population of the Southern Hemisphere plus India. What could go wrong? I actually <laughs> think, and I've said this before, I think Mark Zuckerberg is the most dangerous person in the world. And if you look at key moments in our history where we've moved to tyranny, one of the key steps is someone consolidates the media. And the notion that we're going to have one individual deciding the algorithms for an encrypted backbone of 2.7 billion people is frightening, regardless of that person's intentions or not. But there's a new sheriff in Mediatown, and he's riding in on a rocket or a Tesla. And he's doing so with his recent acquisition of Twitter for $44 billion. And in case you haven't guessed, his name is Elon Musk, and his purchase of Twitter is being labeled as the second worst business deal in history, wherein he paid over eight times the value for the company. So you have to ask yourself why. He was already the wealthiest man on the planet. I mean, what's the plan here, Elon? What's the motivation? Musk has always been a media whore. He, like Trump, cannot stay out of the news cycle for five minutes without getting FOMO. Their unbridled narcissism allows them to just fabricate any news or blurt any crazy thoughts or insults that they want to hurl on their opponents on social media. They will do or say anything if it will keep people in the news talking about them. In the short time since Musk acquired Twitter, the hate speech and violence attributed to it has shot through the roof. As Twitter is considered a news source, we as a country once again have the task of trying to determine what is real news and what is fake. Is the information biased with an evil clandestine agenda, or is it just a bot account? Is Musk truly the defender of the First Amendment that he claims to be? Or did he just purchase Twitter to drive his own political agenda? And how scary is that for the country? 
Just five weeks after Elon Musk took over Twitter, this morning the billionaire's vision for the platform is coming into focus as questions over free speech versus hate speech swirl. Kanye, Kanye, While the suspension of recording artist Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, from the platform has captured headlines, hundreds of Twitter accounts belonging to far-right activists and QAnon theorists have been reinstated, according to data reviewed by NBC News. People who know how to play the game in the white supremacist spaces, who know how to get people radicalized subtly over time, those are the people that are coming back. Andrew Anglin, the founder of one of the most influential neo-Nazi websites, just one of hundreds of formerly banned users, now back on the platform, after Musk's Thanksgiving tweet that amnesty begins next week. Meanwhile, the billionaire cutting the company staff, including those dedicated to monitoring abuse and hate speech. Musk is setting a tone of permissibility for the kind of behavior that had people shown the door in the first place. After Musk acquired the site, slurs against black Americans tripled and anti-Semitic tweets soared more than 61 percent, according to groups that monitor online hate. What about what he did with Turkey over the weekend, right? Agreeing to limit what they were putting out on Twitter so the platform Mm -hmm. could remain in that country. How dangerous is that, right? Other world leaders are seeing how Elon Musk is willing to play. This guy controls a major communications company, and we've seen he's going to dabble in elections and foreign governments. Although Amazon's reputation is clearly as the largest online retailer in the world, they do happen to be a very big media company as well. It wouldn't be the first thing you think of when you think of Amazon, but the numbers don't lie. And in this way, Bezos has, once again, so much influence and sway over what we watch, what we listen to, and what we think. Makes him a pretty ominous dude. Amazon Media Group is going to be twice as big as Instagram this year. So we talk about Facebook, we talk about Instagram. Amazon, the e-commerce company, is now a much bigger media company than Instagram. And if current trends hold, in five years, I think it's going to be three years, but definitely in five years, Amazon's going to be the third largest media company in the world. Who would have thunk it? So their ability to monetize search is unrivaled. How do we compete with Amazon? It's the same question over and over. And I'm here to tell you, it's impossible. And I don't think it's a good thing. They can go into non-core adjacent categories, including media. Amazon is now the second largest spender on original content. They would have been number one if 24 months ago Netflix hadn't heard their footsteps behind them and dramatically increased their spend. So think about that. Original scripted television and e-commerce is now spending more money than NBC or ABC or CBS. Why? Because again, they have all this cheap gasoline. As users, we have a role to play in shaping our digital experiences. We actually have a responsibility in this, you know. By diversifying our sources of information, practicing critical thinking, and seeking out different perspectives, we can mitigate the potential impact of any undue influence. Media literacy and digital citizenship skills, those are things are crucial in today's digital landscape. And by understanding how information is curated and disseminated by these platforms, we can navigate the complexities and make informed choices. Digital literacy is more than knowing how to use the internet. It is one of the most important skills in the 21st century, 
and it is especially important for today's youth. If literacy means the ability to read and write, then digital literacy is the ability to use, understand, and create content online. It also involves finding credible sources of information. Are we reading facts or are we reading fake news? Are we getting brainwashed or are we actually getting information? These information we receive can change our behavior and perception of the world. Digital media flows two ways. The producers will know who is consuming their content. So even if you may not know it, you could be sharing your personal information. They are watching you, tracking your every move, and learning everything about you. So where does that leave us in the debate over whether the three most powerful men in tech and media are using their powers for good or evil? I don't know that one can think of the answer in binary terms. It seems like the growing fear over AI taking over our planet is not far off from the same debate. These titans, these visionaries, disruptors, inventors, they probably never imagined that their creations would ever cause harm. But as their platforms all have a life of their own, since birthed, we turn to their parents to control them. The problem is, they are not. They are letting their kids run around like wild animals, as my mother would say. They have been so seduced by the power and the profit that on some level they probably have grown a little dark, a little manipulative, since the days that they were in their proverbial garages dreaming of their great world-changing ideas. This is systemic. This is not just Facebook is bad. It's not just about addiction of tech. It's not just about manipulation of tech as propaganda. It's systemic. Is It all fits together. Right now, everyone's realizing that technology didn't hang the moon necessarily, although there's been the ongoing issues about technology. I think two-thirds of Americans get their news from Facebook, and then around the world, it's even higher. It's sort of, you know, a Google with search, but this is much more important because this is news stories. I think they have a careless uh, relationship with um, management of problematic material on their, on their site. I wouldn't say they're doing it on purpose. They're not, I don't know, Mussolini trying to take over things. I just think they have this unusual relationship with the First Amendment that they think they're protecting people when actually the way they're managing the platform is hurting people. And you saw that happen in the most dramatically in the attacks on Capitol Hill. Ultimately, the power is in the consumer. Us. You want to shut down Amazon? Stop buying shit on Amazon. You want to shut down Facebook, Twitter, and Insta? Stop using them. Delete your accounts. We can't trust our elected officials anymore, so it would seem. So instead of attacking our nation's capital, how about we ignore the crazies and take their voices away and go back to reading factual reporting from actual news services, not these click-baiting, money-hungry, ethically-challenged tech titans. I'm just saying. We now get the majority of our news from our social media feeds, and the majority of our news coming off of social media feeds is Fake news. I am not allowed to be political or use curse words or talk about religion and class, so I can definitely not say Zuckerberg has become Putin's bitch. I definitely cannot say that. Sheryl Sandberg has repeated this lie that we are not a media company. Facebook has openly embraced the margins of celebrity and the influence of a media company, yet seems to be allergic to the responsibilities of a media company. Imagine McDonald's. We find 80% of their beef is fake, and it's giving us encephalitis, and we're making terrible decisions. And we say, McDonald's, we're pissed off. And they say, wait, wait. 
We're not a fast food restaurant. We're a fast food platform. <laughs>